0: I have a very hard time saying no to speaking without, I try, <laughs> to speaking to pastors and ministries. I've always felt, at least in the last 31 years, I said, life of the church, that God privileged me to birth, that I want to go to every pastor convention, conference, or meeting to apologize to pastors. My ministry started in Sydney, Australia in 1975 after I graduated from seminary. And I served in a church in Sydney for about uh, two and a half years. Then I left for health reasons. People got sick of me. (laughs) And I thought, well, pastoring is not for me. And I headed up an international ministry headquartered in Singapore, and the U.S. headquarters in Atlanta, of the Haggai Institute for Leadership Training. So while I was the managing director of this ministry for nearly ten years, I would speak all over the world to pastors. And I knew everything and what to tell pastors. Pastors ought to do this. Pastors ought to do that. Pastors ought to... I did this for 10 years. Then I became a pastor. And so I now take every opportunity available to me to go to pastors and apologize. It's certainly very different when you're in the trenches. We started with 28 adults and 16 children for service in Atlanta 31 years ago. Amen. Amen. God gets all the glory. But I do have a burden, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me and forgive me ahead of times. Growing up in the Middle East, living in a highly secular society where I received my training and ministry in Australia and then... California, then here in the United States, and that, that now I'm going to turn 70 this year, I am finding, God bless you, thank you, I'm finding that this burden and this mission is like that of Jeremiah, that is burning a hole in my chest, and I cannot contain it. And so, I'm going to be a little bit blunt with you, but I know you going to take it as of the Lord, because I only speak what is in the book of God. My latest book is called The Hidden Enemy. There are documents, historically, whenever Bible-believing believers, Christian leaders, abandon biblical truth, there is a vacuum that is created. And when that vacuum is created, there are two powerful forces that are more ready to fill that vacuum, militant secularism and militant Islam. And they are on the rise in Europe, in Canada, and the United States. And with those Middle Eastern eyes, I am seeing history repeating itself. In that book, The Hidden Enemy, these people and these folks are not the hidden enemy. The hidden enemy is a professing Christian who deny the authority of the scripture, who refuse to preach the authority of the Word of God. Those who find it very trendy to say, "God is too big to have just one way for salvation." I'm aware of the fact that each generation Each generation of Bible-believing Christians have to face different challenges and different battles, literally, for the survival of the truth. Today, as I said, the fiercest battle in the church that we are facing in the church is universalism and a denial of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Statistics after statistics have shown that universalism has leaped from the mainline denominations and have gone into many of the evangelical denominations. Now, I am not completely wedded to statistics, but when you are continuously seeing that study after study after study after study showing that between 50 to 60 percent of so-called evangelicals no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That Jesus is the only way to the Father. When you see that continuously, uh, we as faithful pastors and in the ministry, we need not only weep like Jeremiah wept, but we need to go weeping on our knees on behalf of the church. Not only that we must daily commit ourselves and recommit ourselves to the Lord and to the calling and to the calling of proclamation of the truth, but to each other. Uh, we must contend for the faith even at the cost of our lives. I travel in the Middle East. I try not to go to places where everybody goes. I go to places where nobody goes. I go to Kuwait and Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I go to places in Jordan and Lebanon and Egypt. And I go to places where nobody else goes because that's where God gave me a burden to the very people who I grew up being persecuted by them. That is the love that God gave me. Russian historian who was a critic of communism Alexander Solzhenitsyn, my wife and I, had the joy of meeting him in London, 1984. Here's what he said. We shall reap courage and victory only when we dare to make sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, the devil has convinced many of us, many of us in the churches, by what Dr. J.I. Packer, a friend of mine, a professor of theology in Vancouver, calls hot tub Christianity. The devil has sold us a bill of goods, which allowed us to think that our comfort, our leisure, our popularity, our acceptance, uh, our security, our pension for maybe larger and larger crowds, basically come ahead of proclamation of the truth. Satan has convinced us slowly but surely to stop standing for the truth and be tolerant of sin. Not We talk about tolerance, but they talk about tolerance of sin. Uh, we have removed the battle language of the Bible (laughs) into a hot-top Christianity. So much so that churches are now filled with the unsaved and the uncommitted and the unconverted. And we we wonder why our country is in the mess it's in. My fellow servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the mess we're in because many of us in the pulpit's have ceased to thunder from that place of privilege and say, Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. We have turned our pulpits into stages and turned our churches into theatres and we have turned our congregation into audience. As Vance Habner used to say, We come singing just as I am, and we leave just as we came. My fellow servants of the living God, unless we repent and turn back to the Lord and cry to Him for mercy, for supernatural power, and for strength, we will continue in this downward spiral. And I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to lift you up and to know as a, your fellow pastor, I've experienced all the discouragements that you have discovered and that you have, some of you might be going through right now. I remember many years back yonder, one guy said... We must not allow this media ministry to succeed. I didn't want to be in the media. I got dragged into it. But he said, we must not allow it to succeed because if he succeeds, we will lose control of him. I said, God have mercy. I want to only be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And God took care of that man. Uh, now, but, but I didn't come here to give you some bad news. I came here to encourage you. I to here to encourage you. Jude, the half brother of the Lord Jesus, exhorts us. It's only one chapter, epistle. One chapter, epistle. He says, contend for the faith that once and for all entrusted to the saints. Contend for the faith. If there is a call on your life and mine, it is to contend for the faith. That means that we don't water it down. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't dilute its strength. We don't modify its power. We don't break the sting. Uh, We don't smooth it over or under the guise of relevance take away its demands. What is that faith which we are to contend for that was entrusted to us that we earnestly must stand for and die for? It is the act of believing and experience has power of transformation. It is the totality of the truth. It's the unfolding of God's revelation. It is the preaching truthfully what is found in the book of God. It is the proclamation of God's provision of only one way for salvation. Not too many ways, only one way. It is the believing the fact that only Jesus and Jesus only can save you and take you to heaven. I know. I know. I know it's fashionable. I meet young pastors, and they say to me, well, you know, Jesus is my Savior, but surely He's not everybody's Savior. I said, I'm wasting my time and my life traveling overseas to every corner of the globe telling them that Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus is my Savior, but He's not necessarily their Savior. I said, who is they? I said, the Christians in the Middle East, they're living more for Jesus than you are. Reflect on that fallacy for a moment. Just reflect on that, because you're going to hear it. It means that Jesus, who said, I am the only way to the Father, I am the only way to heaven, is lying. (laughs) What they're saying is that my Savior is lying. And yet, that is the message that is preached from many young generation pastors. When Jude said, contend for the faith, the faith that once delivered, he meant... That it is a closed book. He meant that it cannot be added to it and you cannot subtract from it. It is not a smorgasbord. Either Jesus is Lord of all or not Lord at all. History teaches us that whenever misguided Christians, professing Christians, try to keep that book open, maybe for a new revelation of some sort, and will be equally with authority as those who inspired of the Holy Spirit to write it, when that happens, that culture is annihilated. Not just weakened, Annihilate. I'm going to give you examples from history. I'm an amateur historian. You know, when the gospel was preached in the early days of the church and spread so fast, a country of my birth, like Egypt, my ancestors, they were sun worshippers, the god Ra. They were polytheistic, worshipping many gods. But when the Jews from Alexandria who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And they heard the gospel. And they brought it back to Alexandria and they began to preach it. Then followed by the Apostle Mark who came and began to preach in Alexandria. And he was actually dragged to death. Uh, Within a matter of less than 100 years, 85% of the population became Christian. Not only that, but the gospel spread throughout North Africa. I'm talking about Libya Tunisia, Morocco, Algiers. Ninety percent of that population were all Christians. There was estimates, in fact, St. Augustine comes from Algeria, whether we know this or not, but there was estimates that there were 5,000 dioceses in one stage. That is not 5,000 churches, that's hundreds of thousands of churches throughout that region. And then came a movement called the Montanus Movement in the church. This was a second century heresy but then was popularized by a woman in North Africa by the name of Marcella. Basically, the bottom line of this heresy says, among other things, the Bible is an open book. It's not closed canon. It is open that God can speak with the same authority today through others as He did back then through Paul and Peter and John and James and, and, and those who inspired the Holy Spirit to write the book of God. It is not a closed book. So I want you to imagine with me in the middle of the 600s and the 700s when the hordes of Muslim invaders came blustering from Arabian desert into North Africa proclaiming Allah, they found a warm bosom in the church of North Africa. They said, let's see what God is telling us. He may be bringing us a new revelation. And thus within a matter of a few years, these tens of thousands of churches turned into mosques. That is history, my beloved friends. You cannot tell me that history is not repeating itself. It's repeating itself now. In the United Kingdom alone, and I have an office there, and I have a ministry there, and I love the people of the United Kingdom, and I just hurt for them. But in the last 20 years, there were 500 churches that closed down. But at the same period of time, 427 mosques were built at the same period of time can't tell me history does not repeat itself. It is time for us to be forewarned because that's happening, not just in Europe and Canada, in the United States. But this time, as I read the literature and the literature of the leaders, they say, we're going to have this uh, double-edged sword. We're going to increase the population of the Muslims so that we will overwhelm the Europeans. And we're going to use our billions of dollars investments. One Muslim writer puts it this way. He said, the money-worshipping Europeans are totally oblivious to what we're doing. Well, I'm not. Just a few weeks ago, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, if he told me this just a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. The crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He was here in the United States. He spent three weeks traveling all over the United States. He said the following to the media. It's not a secret. He said, unless Europe wakes up in time... The Muslim Brotherhood, these are the Islamists. You see, I always make a distinction between Muslims and Islamists. I know some wonderful Muslim people. I spent three hours with President Sisi of Egypt just uh, back in November. Uh, But these are the militant, these are political Islamists who want to take over the world. (laughs) He said, unless Europe wakes up in time, the Muslim Brotherhood will dominate Europe in the next 20 years. This is coming from the crown prince of Saudi Arabia who will be the next king. I am absolutely amazed of how many so-called reverends, whom I call them irreverents, they show up on television and they talk about the separation of the church and the state. Well, I don't want a theistic society. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, of course not. But what they're saying is we need to separate the state from God. And that's what they had in mind. Uh, their only aim is to shut the Christians up. So they don't take, speak in, the, in public and in public places. Uh, they are now among the most vocal supporters of so-called Islamic freedom. So the Muslim kids can leave the class at 12 noon and go there. It's, not, it's happening in Texas, in California, all over the country. But have some Christian kids who want to have a Bible study before or after school, they take them to court. They take them to court. Could it be that the devil has found a warm bosom among those who claim to be Christians. Only a few years ago, the Episcopal Diocese of Albany had a building for sale. They wouldn't sell it to a pastor who left that denomination because of biblical conviction for $350,000, chose instead to sell it to a mosque for $150,000. My fellow servants of the living God, I'm here to wake you up, I'm here to challenge you, I'm here to jolt you, I'm here to step on your toes. One guy left the church. I said, why did you leave the church? He said, because you have taught me to dance. I said, I taught you, that I don't know how to dance. He said, no, you did. I kept dancing every time you preach because you're stepping on my toes. And he said, I've got to find me a church where I don't have to learn to dance. We are seeing history repeating itself. And that is why today, more than ever, we must refuse to be intimidated By the enemies of the cross, we must lovingly say, the truth is the truth is the truth. Let them call us what they will. Let them call us intolerant. Let them call us bigots. Let them call us narrow-minded. Let them call us unloving. Let them call us what they want to call us. But we must say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you. Let him be eternally condemned. Amen. Today we have preachers who wave big black Bibles. But they never tell you what's inside that book. (laughs) You and I must heed. The exhortation of Jude to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Jude is telling us that this faith that is entrusted to us, we had better be good and faithful trustees. We had better be good and faithful custodians of it. We must hand it to the next generation unmolested, unmodified, and unmessed up with Don't ever forget, our Christian bears were accused by Rome for being intolerant. Let me tell you a little bit of history there. I know that too. Remember, Rome tolerated all kinds of gods. The more gods, the merrier. Man, if these Christians said, hey, we found this god named Jesus, oh, wonderful, add him to the list. But the one thing they could not tolerate, those pesky Christians who insisted... There's only one God. And this one true God came from heaven. And he died on a cross to pay for the wages of sin of everyone who believe in him. And more importantly, he rose again in the power of his omnipotence. Physically, bodily, rose from the dead on the third day from the grave. And that one day, the clouds are going to roll back like a scroll. And he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Because of their intolerance, these Christians were fed to hungry lions. They were dipped in boiling oil. They were lit up as candles to light up Nero's garden palace. Why? Because they wanted to deliver to us that faith that once delivered They were contending for the faith. And my beloved friends, universalism and the denial of the divinity of Jesus Christ and the denial of the authority of the Scripture is the battle cry of our generation. We had better not lose that battle. I know we're not going to lose it because I read the last chapter and it says we win. We win. But we dare not lose it. We dare not. Allow anything that comes in the way, gets in the way, to entice us. We do not To allow the praise of men to deceive us. We allow not the flattery of those who are in the media to buy us off. We do not allow the longing for acceptance by society and by the culture to make us sell our birthright. Nothing should make us sell our souls, certainly not for a pot of soup. The reason, the reason we do not contend for the faith once delivered to all the saints is because we have ceased to love the Word of God. We really have. We have ceased to trust in God's promises. We have placed our confidence in doctor, what Dr. Smelfungus says or what Miss Superduck says than in the Word of God. I hear it all the time. So-and-so says, I don't care what they say. What does the Word of God say? That's really what matters. I know the arguments. I know the arguments. I know them all. I know them too well. Christians are being accused of being angry all the time. Christians are being accused that they're always against some things and not for anything. Christians are accused of being negative. Christians are accused of being hateful. Now, I'm not denying that there are some people who give Christianity a bad name. I know that. I know that. But listen to me. You and I are for the truth. Uh, The truth is this. (laughs) Love is our only weapon. Compassion is our armor. And the Word of God is our sword. Desiring eternal salvation for others is the only motive that we have for living and serving. Amen. You know, I'm telling you about loving the word of God and spending time with God, but I've got to come clean with you. When I started the church, I was so busy, the church was growing fast, and I was so busy running around, running around, running around. I mean, I go for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and appointments in between. And I man, I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. I was busy. I was serving. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And then, I got hit with double pneumonia. I couldn't move for two weeks. They want to hospitalize me? I said, no, I know what God is doing. He wants to get my attention. And he did. And I cried hot tears. And God says, listen to me, now that i got your attention, I can do all of this without you. I can do even more without you. How can you minister to anyone without ministering to me first every day? And I sat there and I wept and I wept and I wept. I said, Lord, how can I minister to you? Here's the first decision I made. Not one single morning appointment. If somebody said, I can only meet you, I said, I'm sorry. I'm meeting your boss at that time. The tithe of the day belongs to the Lord. In praise, worship, adoration, studying of His Word. And then God blessed in ways I couldn't even expect. In ways I could never think about. I couldn't imagine. Dr. Adrian Rogers was a great man of God. He went to be with the Lord. He was such a gracious man to me. He was a great encourager to me. And he said something that I want to read it to you. It's so powerful. He said, it is better to be divided by truth than be united on error. It is better to speak truth that hurts when heals than spews falsehood that comforts than kills. It is not love and it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of God. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than be loved for telling a lie. It is better to stand alone with the truth than be wrong with the masses. Amen. It is better ultimately succeed with the truth than temper succeed with a lie. I say, God bless his memory. What a great man of God he was. Amen. About 25 years ago, right after I had this experience with the Lord, and the Lord was blessing, and, and the Lord says, I want you to preach the truth, and I don't want you to worry about numbers. And so I was preaching my heart out one Sunday. And unbeknown to me, there was a young pastor in the church, younger than me, um, who was very successful, extremely successful. And uh, a few weeks later, he wanted to meet with me. And he wanted to help this poor immigrant preacher. You know, just want to help him out. And he said, Michael, I want to tell you right now, in your face preaching will not build you a great church. And I thought about this long and high. He said, you need to stay positive. Get away from the negative things about sin and repentance. I understood exactly what he's trying to say. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say I was thinking about it. Just for a little bit. (laughs) Just for a little bit. But then I sensed the Lord speaking to me in one of those mornings. He said, I would rather you show up in heaven... With a handful of people who come to know me through the saving power of my Son Jesus, than tens of thousands of people who would come to be entertained and then curse you from hell. I said, "Lord, I am sorry," and that became another turning point in my life. And yes, our church grew, and it grew, and we thousands of people come, and I tell them every Sunday, "You're glutton for punishment." Because they're only going to get it in-your-face preaching. <laughs> they know that I'm only going to preach the uncompromised Word of God. And I know many of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what you're talking about. Some of you might be discouraged because of that. Maybe you've been criticized because you're preaching the truth of the Word of God. I'll never forget in Dallas, Texas, a pastor came and held my hand, both hands. He said, I was up all night struggling because the pressure on me to kind of soften the message was so great. And I was preaching similar message, not this one, but a similar message uh, about the importance of preaching the truth. And he said, all night I was up and praying. I said, Lord, he said, give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. And he comes in. He said, I wasn't going to come to this lunch, but he shows up. And He said, God gave me a word. He said, I'm going to preach it till I die. I hugged him. I hugged him. I said, God bless you and he will bless you. Many of you have been faithful preachers of the gospel. Many of you, because of that faithfulness, you are discouraged. And you're criticized, you're attacked. But I want you to think this morning with me. You can close your eyes if you want to. Think of the audience of one. You know what I mean by the audience of one? Every one of us are going to have the audience of one. One day, when you have that audience of one with Jesus... Think about hearing from His precious lips. Well done. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. In our case, God honored His Word, and He honored the foibles of the preacher. And now we are in 190 countries. Leading the way is translated... Into 26 languages. These are the most spoken languages of the world, like Arabic, Mandarin, Cantonese. 3.9 billion people at the sound of the voice of these languages being translated. So I want to tell you, my fellow servants, listen to me. Don't fall for the fallacy that you have to entertain in order to draw a crowd. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. People are longing for the truth. I see it all over the country. When they go to these entertaining churches and then sooner they get hungry and they re- want to go to find the truth somewhere. And today I'm, I'm reading some of the Islamist press. Again, I said difference between Muslims and Islamists. And their press are just hailing these universalist preachers in America and in Europe, saying, these are our allies, because like us, they deny the divinity of Christ. They now seeing the truth as it is in, a, in their religion of Islam. And they seem to feel vindicated by these preachers' denial of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 of Jude. I'm getting close to the end. Don't, 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 don't let me lose you. Don't let me lose you. Now if you get, get through before I do, raise your hand. Okay? But in Jude, there's one chapter, verse 4. He said, certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slept among us. And the word Jude uses here is those who sneak into the church. Uh, in fact, the word can mean stealthily or smoothly or undercover. Uh, it's a word that's used of an alligator who lies still at the riverbank, perfectly still, and without causing as much as a ripple, slips into the water. These people appear to be kind and gentle, and oh, they're so sweet. They're sweet, but inwardly they're full of deception. Outwardly they are gifted and articulate, but inwardly they desire self-worship. Outwardly they appear compassionate. Inwardly they are self-serving. Outwardly they appear oh, so relevant to the culture, but in reality they have perverted the grace of God. And they turned it into a license. Remember this, grace is not a license to sin. Grace puts us on our faces and our knees in gratitude to God for His grace. Grace humbles us beyond measure. Grace causes us to hate sin, particularly sin in our lives. I hate sin in my life now that I'm older than I've ever hated sin before. Grace causes us to hate what God hates. Grace causes us to blush when we sin, not explain it away. Grace leads us into purity, not perversion of the truth of the gospel. And so, my fellow beloved pastors and teachers and ministry colleagues, contend for the faith that is once delivered. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Say it with me. Contend with the faith. Let's say it again. Because soon, and it may be sooner than any of us may think, we're going to hear from the lips of the Master those magnificent words. Well done. You notice he did not say, much done? Hello. Ah, yes. Because we judge everything on a page. He didn't say, much done. He said, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servants. And may that be said of every one of you. And I'm going to do something here I've never done before with pastors, but I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I want to tell you, if you are a pastor or a ministry leader or a teacher who really want to say, Lord, I want to rededicate myself to you today. I want to dedicate my life and my ministry and my service to contend for the faith. I want you to come up and stand right here because I'm going to pray with you. Would you do that? I want to pray with you. And I'm going to, we're going to pray for one another. Uh, I am not the know-it-all guy. I'm not. But I am here as a servant of God, opening the Word of God, telling you what the Lord has for you. I prayed about this for weeks before I accepted the invitation. And so, come on down. Let's pray together. Father, I bless you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for them, Lord God. I thank you for their call upon their life. I thank you that you have known each one of them before the foundation of the earth. Certainly before they were even weaved in the mother's womb. And I thank you, Father, that you have placed this call on their lives. And now I pray in the name of Jesus, give them courage that can only come from heaven. Give them supernatural strength. Lord, give them success. Yes, Lord, I pray honor their faithfulness. You said through Samuel, I said, those who honor me, I will honor, says the Lord. Will you honor every one of them today? And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they will go back to their churches and ministries, renewed, invigorated, that they go back serving you with all of their hearts, that they keep their eyes on you, Jesus, not on the crowd not on the critics, not on those who don't like them. I pray, God, give them favor in the eyes of their congregations. And I pray that as a result of this standing here and this humbling of ourselves of coming before you, that you're going to do some great and mighty things. And I receive it by faith right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God glory. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.